Good morning. It is good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Cheryl. I'm part of the staff here at Menlo Church, and we are one church in many locations. So I just want to give greetings to those of you who are joining us online. Uh, to my friends up at San Mateo, it was fun to be with you guys last weekend. Uh, to San Jose campus and the Mountain View campus and to the Saratoga campus and to this campus uh, right here in Menlo Park. It is good to be together. We are journeying through the New Testament book of Colossians. And as we do that, we are entering into, as a community, the formation practice of Bible study. And the reason we call it a formation practice is that our heart and our desire in practices, spiritual practices, is to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. That as individuals and as a community, we would look more and more like Jesus. And so uh, we have provided, if you go to our website, um, Menlo dot church slash Colossians, you can find all kinds of resources uh, for the formation practice of Bible study. Some of them are just general resources, and then uh, a number of them are specific to studying Colossians, because there's only so much you can say on a Sunday morning, and so we want you to go deep with that. And today, if you have a Bible on your phone or like old-fashioned, um, and I... We could become the nerdiest church in the Bay Area if we started carrying our Bibles. Like, just have, if you need a Bible, Taylor Corton out here, or one of your people at one of your campuses will get you a Bible, okay? Because here's what happens to me. It surely doesn't happen to you. But, um, and I'm a pastor. I sit in church. I open my phone to look at my Bible. And next thing, I'm text messaging. Um, somebody. I know you guys don't do that when I preach, but um, anyway, if you got, if you have your Bible on your phone, I'm not shaming you, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 1, um, and if you've got an old school uh, a Bible like you would carry in 1982 before you were even born, um, you can open that too. But we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 looking at, we're going to be looking at something you're already experiencing whether you're a parent or you're single or you're married or you're a high school or junior high student, you are experiencing what we are going to talk about because we're gonna look at purposeful suffering. We're gonna look at the suffering that we choose, and all of you are doing this, the suffering that we choose for the sake of another. And we're going to consider how do we do that without burning out, without being masochists? What does that mean for us? So let me pray, and we'll dive into this passage. Father, God in heaven, God with us, God present, God among us, we desire to hear your voice. We long for it to be louder than any other voice in our life. And so we would ask in these few minutes, in these moments, would you speak to us through your word, the Bible, through your spirit? Would you help us? Would you give us ears to hear? We pray it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Colossians chapter 1 says this in verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. Now I kind of need to stop right there, because that's a confusing verse. It's controversial. There are books written on it. I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. Let me say this. I don't have time to talk about it. (laughs) It's deep. Um, So I am going to talk about it on our podcast this week. That's a little plug. Uh, And on our website, menlo.church slash Colossians, we have recommendations of some commentaries, and those commentaries will take you deep into what does this mean in regard, lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. So what I want to say for us now, the quick answer, is what you need to know is that Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection are completely sufficient for our salvation and for life with God today and for all eternity. That's the simple answer. You guys go deep this week and let me know what you find. Um, Back to Colossians uh, chapter one. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Look for reasons for Paul to be rejoicing in suffering as I, as I read. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among them, among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And so here's what I want to consider from this passage. This is what I want to look at. I want to answer these questions. Why does Paul rejoice in suffering? Secondly, how can Paul choose suffering without burning out, without being a masochist? Third, what does this mean for us as we follow Jesus? Okay. So why does Paul rejoice in suffering? We know, we know that Paul chose suffering when he was called to follow Jesus because when Jesus called Paul to follow him, he told him very explicitly that he would suffer, that Paul would suffer for his name, which means Paul would suffer for the glory of Jesus, for the mission and the purposes of Jesus. And we know that Paul was beaten. He was in prison multiple times. He was stoned. He was verbally abused. He was falsely accused. He was betrayed by fellow Christians. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He says, I have labored and toiled 
and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul chose suffering because of one thing, love. That might sound simplistic, that might sound trite, but Paul loved Jesus and Paul loved the church. He had concern. It was a a pressure to him to have concern for all the churches. In verse 24, he says his suffering is for the sake of Christ's body, the church. Verse 25, he said that he made himself a servant of the church. Paul suffers with rejoicing because he has a message that has been given to him and it has changed his life. His encounter with Jesus changed everything for him. And he believes that that message will change their life as well. He's been given this message. It's a message about their purpose. If we go back to what we talked about last week in Colossians, Colossians 1.16 tells us that we are created through Christ for Christ. It's a glorious purpose. He has a message that is about their worth. Colossians 1.22, Paul says that God, the God of the universe has pursued them, has pursued you, and died for them to make them his own, to make them free from the chaos that is sin. It's a message about identity. Verse 27, Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ in you. Are you wondering what your identity is? Who you are? Christ in you. It's a message about their hope, the hope of glory, the now and future salvation in God's kingdom. And it's important to recognize in this context and in the language here that Paul is speaking to the church collectively. In verse 27, that really would be better translated, Christ in y'all. I had to move to Texas for college so I could learn how to read the Bible. Someone reminded me after the last service that really it's probably better translated Christ in all (laughs) y'all. Paul is speaking specifically to this church collective, to this community, to Christ's presence in a community of people who are reordering their life around the priority of Jesus. That's the church. The church, we, Menlo Church, is a community of people reordering our lives around the priority of Jesus. We can tend to think of the church as just a place that we come and we gather and we sing a couple songs and we get an inspirational message, maybe, and, uh, and then we go out into our week and go get them for God, right? Right? But the biblical understanding of the church 
transcends individualism. It transcends our understanding, understanding of just gathering and getting an inspirational message. Paul says it in this passage. He describes the church as the body, the body of Christ, an interdependent group committed to rejecting selfishness, serving the other, to be agents of the love of Christ with Christ into our world. So verse 28, Paul's suffering is so that the church might become fully mature, so that the church can live into and be an expression of what they were created to be, who they were created to be. So that's why Paul rejoices. He rejoices for the other. He rejoices for the church in suffering for the church. So how can Paul choose suffering without burning out, right? How do you choose suffering not as a masochist? Paul, I, some, I know sometimes we kind of try to think of Paul like his super Christian, Avengers of Christians, um, superpowers. Paul, if you read his writings, he's just a normal Christian guy. <laughs> he has weaknesses, he has strengths, he has uh, times that he's messed up, he has regrets, and all those things. He's a human just like us. But he tells us his secret sauce, right? It's the power of Christ in him. Verse 29, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Jesus said to his earliest band of followers, he told them, he said in Acts chapter one, he said, um, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power to live out your purpose. You will receive power to be on mission. You will receive power to do the work of love for the other. You will receive power because you will suffer, and to love is to choose to suffer, right? And the Holy Spirit is God. Not just a force, not just an energy. The Holy Spirit is God. It's a mystery of the triune God. It's the uniqueness of the Christian faith that we believe in a God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The power is God in us, through us, behind us, before us. It's the picture actually that we talked about in the first week of this series in Colossians, the one that Jesus gave us in John chapter 15. Remember in the context of Jesus' teaching, he was teaching them in John 14, he's talking about sending the Holy Spirit to be with them after he dies and is resurrected and ascended. And then he talks about more of the Holy Spirit in John, end of John 15, beginning of John 16. And I, I just have always sensed that he had to pause and give them a picture of what does it look like to live the God-empowered life? What does it look like for you to have all the energy of Christ working in you 
Jesus says it looks like a vine. It looks like a branch attached to that vine. And Jesus says, I am the vine. And my father is the gardener. And you, you are the branch attached to the vine, attached to Jesus. And all of the power and nourishment comes through that vine into you in partnership with the Father. Jesus says in that passage, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And certainly, we can do a lot of things apart from Jesus. But to live the with God life, to suffer for in the sake of love, we need to be attached to that vine, hidden in Christ. The energy to persevere in suffering is Christ in us, Christ in Paul. It is the energy of Christ that so powerfully works in him. He contends, he exerts effort, there is effort, but it is in partnership with God. So what does this mean for us as we follow Jesus? Well, I think it means three things. It means partnership with God. It means doing our life with him and in him and him in us. It means love. It means prayer. If we do not love, then suffering for another is pious, it's prideful, and it's self-serving. If we do not love, then suffering for another is pious, prideful, and self-serving. If we do not pray, church, if we do not pray, there is no partnership with God. We will contend in our own power. We will be a church running on the energy of self-sufficiency and we will do nothing. To live in the way of Jesus is to love others with Jesus. And with love there is vulnerability. And with vulnerability there is suffering. C.S. Lewis said this, he wrote, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you wanna make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round the hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. So like Paul, we want to be a church willing to suffer for others with Christ. Of course, there is a suffering that comes upon us that we have no control of. It's a suffering that often confounds us as followers of Jesus, of worshipers of God. Why is there this suffering? And that is certainly a worthy conversation and something to question and something to wrestle with. But the focus of what 
Paul is talking about here is not that kind of suffering. He's talking about, again, that suffering that he has chosen for the sake of another, right? He chose to suffer because of his love for Christ, his love for Christ's church. So what does this suffering look like? Well, one thing, and I gotta be clear on this, I don't mean suffering under, I mean suffering for, okay? Love does not suffer under abuse, anger, control, jealousy, fear, or manipulation. Love chooses to suffer for the good of another person, the good of a group of people, the good of an organization. Love is embodied goodness. That's why the scripture can say God is love. Not just that he loves, he is love. Love is embodied goodness. And here's what it can look like. The chosen suffering is a parent sacrificing sleep for the feeding and health of an infant. The chosen suffering is a coworker sacrificing their position and power to empower another. The chosen suffering is a student who is willing to sit with the outcast and the bullied at lunch because they genuinely care. It's a single person initiating friendship again. It's a single parent continuing to be faithful to their kids when they're utterly exhausted. It's a boss reducing their salary to retain a staff and provide jobs. It's a grandparent listening rather than solving when their grandchild is distressed. This chosen suffering is saying, I'm sorry. It's forgiving and not bringing it up again. It's putting a dream on hold to care for a child, a parent, a spouse, a friend. Paul suffered for his churches. Many of you have suffered for this little church, Menlo Church, in multiple locations all around the peninsula. It's the life group that showed up every day at the hospital. It's the student ministry volunteers who give up evenings, weekends, and weeks to assure that our students know, are known and have a safe place to wrestle with and ask questions and consider their own faith for themselves, right? There's a guy named Jack who shows up at 7 a.m. every Sunday at one of our campuses to make coffee. It's Andrew who I met this morning when I was walking into the sanctuary in the parking lot who was unloading an SUV filled with donuts. It's Brian who I met this morning who runs our tech. And then I gotta brag on one group of people who have chosen to suffer for this church, Menlo Church, because they love Jesus and because they love this church. And that's our staff. We have an amazing staff, and many of you know 
that the great resignation has hit churches all across the country because it's been really hard to serve in a church over the past few years. Nobody goes into ministry because they're like, man, I want to pastor people on a Zoom call, right? Gosh, I'd really love to do this all online. Yes, I want to have all the answers for all the political things and stuff that's happening in our country. And Menlo Church, as some of you know, has had a double gut punch, not just the pandemic. I'm not going to go into the details. But during this season, this is what I've seen our staff do. Our staff has done what pastors and directors of ministries have always done. Through all of this, they have continued to visit hospitals. They've performed funerals and weddings. They've sat with parents who have lost a child. These are true stories. They've gotten another cup of coffee with the woman contemplating divorce. They've graciously absorbed criticism, some of it fair, some of it not so fair. And then we have staff that you don't even see, our support staff who do all the things behind the scenes that make it possible for kids and students and adults to come into a relationship with Jesus and know how to follow him, right? Chairs are set up, copies are made, resources are developed, leaders are trained. We have an amazing staff who have persevered through a lot of stuff because they love Jesus and they love you and they want you to know the love of Christ for you. Paul chose to suffer for the church. And this kind of suffering requires an interactive, conversational relationship with God. It requires prayer. If we choose suffering before talking it over with God, we may choose the wrong suffering. Suffering prescribed by others or our own inner dialogue can be legalism fueled by pride, guilt, or shame. But suffering prescribed in prayerful conversation with God will be fueled by all the energy of Christ so powerfully working in us. This is the way that Jesus came um, to understand his own suffering. You know, when Jesus came to earth to live amongst us, to live as a human with humans, he limited himself. And that's a mystery. I don't fully understand that. But he limited his ministry to a particular region of the world that wasn't very big. He limited himself to time and space. He limited himself to human weakness, the need for food and sleep the limitations again of time. So how did Jesus know what to say yes to? How did Jesus know what to say no to? How did Jesus know what sufferings to choose? He prayed. And that's why repeatedly, especially in the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus saying things like, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. It's why Jesus often went to a place of solitude to pray, to have an interactive conversation with the Father. 
It's why he went to a garden to pray before his ultimate suffering, the crucifixion. And in that garden, as he knows that he's heading to a crucifixion, he prays this prayer. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus prayed, Abba. That's an intimate word of relationship. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this suffering from me. And I love that he could pray that. And we can pray that. Take this from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And of course we know that the Father said no. This is the suffering I have for you. For the sake of the other, for the sake of the world. And Hebrews tells us that he, having heard the voice of the Father in that conversation, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And so we can pray like Jesus. Father, what do you want me to do? For the sake of another, for my neighbor, for my family member, for a coworker, for a fellow student, for a teacher, for this church, what do you want me to do? I want us to sit with that prayer for a bit. We're going to take communion, and as we do, and as we prepare for it through song, I want us to sit with that prayer. Father, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because I'm going to come to a table of a broken body and shed blood. I'm going to come to the table of a suffering for. And I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to do my relationships in the way that you invite me to. Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on cross. Jesus, this is our prayer to you today. What do you want me to do? Who might I suffer for? That I might be the embodiment of love, the love of Christ. Amen.